นโมทัสสะขวะตัวระหัตัวสัมมาสัมบุตทัสสะนโมทัสสะขวะตัวระหัตัวสัมมาสัมบุตทัสสะนโมทัสสะขวะตัวระหัตัวสัมมาสัมบุตทัสสะพุทธังมังสังขังนมัสสะอืมแต่ถ้าเราไปถามว่าเราอยากจะรู้ว่าเราเป็นอะไรเราอยากจะรู้ว่าเราเป็นอะไรเราอยากจะรู้ว่าเราเป็นอะไรเราอยากจะร
into the actuality of the sense of identity. What is this sense of self that we value so highly? With a few exceptions, generally speaking, I think it's safe enough to say that we would sacrifice everything to defend ourselves. We sacrifice our possessions, we sacrifice our relationships, sacrifice our health, sacrifice everything to defend ourselves. And, and yet what is this that we're referring to by ourselves? So also last week I referred to what I see as one of the significant developments over the last century, which is materialism and, and how it's had such a dramatic effect on identity. For my own reading and studying on these matters, it, it seems to me that humanity has always, up until very recently, always had some sort of religion. Religion has been a dominant aspect of human society. I was recently looking at some graphs plotting the attendance at church on Sundays in this country, and at least in the Anglican Church, and you can see steadily over the last century with just a few, again, anomalies, generally speaking, has uh, been slowly but surely declining until now I think it's I think it was something like 3% of the population now goes to church on Sunday. And now that doesn't mean to say that people don't have any sort of religious belief, but certainly a large percentage of the population now openly confesses that they have no religious belief and that's new that's very significant and and in my own considerations on these issues I think that really has a very powerful effect on our sense of individual identity up until very recently human beings have seen themselves living in relationship with something that is truly dependable and for a large percentage of the population that's now gone that perception of an external being or an external agent or an external authority or principle was perceived to be reliable unquestionably reliable dependable timeless almighty or powerful and and in my relationship with that, I was made to feel secure. And it seems to be that, generally speaking, all that was required was you had to believe in this being or this principle and be sufficiently repentant when you are expected to do so. And then you would be rewarded with a sense of security. That really does seem to be what's happened for human beings up until very very recently but again as I was suggesting last week the influence of materialism in particular in our culture anyway scientism we've been conditioned to question everything and not because somebody was particularly ill intent but just that's the way things have unfolded and it's what 
people considered to be beneficial and so questioning everything meant that eventually people got around to questioning the Almighty and it didn't withstand the questioning. Its influence disappeared significantly and, and so what is the consequence of that? That's worth registering. Whereas believing in something inherently secure, whether it was secure or not is another question, but believing that somebody was looking after us, somebody was taking care of everything, not just me, but all of existence, that it was all being managed, it was, everything was going to be ultimately okay. Even after I died, it was going to be ultimately okay, so long as I played by the rules well enough. That belief, it seems to me, has a tremendous impact on the sense of identity, who I am. It provides a sense of security, or it did. But now that that has disappeared to a very large degree, or certainly been diluted, the sense of self is now left exposed and stressed and anxious and lost and so a lot of the extreme activity the extreme struggles and extreme discontent that we witness around us is really perfectly understandable when I no longer feel like somebody is taking care of things and what does that feel like as I was saying I don't think most people are sitting down and spending a lot of time asking this question but as people who value the inner life the contemplative life I think it's wise of us to stop and ask this question what is the consequence of losing this encouragement so the theistic's Approach imagined the Almighty to be a Godhead that was external. And for Buddhists, it's more a matter of believing in an impersonal law. For the majority of people, of course, it doesn't go beyond belief. Some people we trust have gone beyond belief and actually realized the validity of the Buddhist teachings and found what they refer to as an unshakable sense of security, not something that's vulnerable, not something that doesn't stand up to questioning. In fact, as, as we would all know, the, the Buddha seriously encouraged questioning everything. Dhamma Vichaya, investigation, you know, one of the factors of awakening, and the second factor of awakening something that is strongly encouraged and one of the last things the Buddha said before he died was has anybody got any questions questioning, skillful questioning in the right way in the right time out of a personal interest in coming to understand is completely encouraged so our question then it seems to me if we're looking at our own personal pursuit of really truly secure abiding or 
looking at what's happening around us and the, the evident lack of secure abiding, the evident lack of a sense of security. I mean, if people really felt secure in themselves, they wouldn't be self-promoting. Much of what goes on on social media is self-promoting. Why would people be self-promoting if they already felt adequate and contented? It's surely motivated by feelings of inadequacy and discontentment and insecurity. And that mentioning that is not to judge it, but just to to feel it, to look at it. That's really what's going on. You you see the desperate sadness on and tension and so many people's faces and that tension is the perfectly natural consequence of not knowing who and what we are, not having a good enough sense of self-identity. So rather than looking for a philosophical argument that we're going to be persuaded by and then to hang on to that, it's definitely not the Buddha's approach. Rather we're we register these concerns and ask the question, how can we stop believing in these symptoms of an overstressed sense of self, an over-exercised sense of individuality? How can we stop believing in these perceptions of indignation and loneliness and anxiety and actually move towards that which we can truly trust it. And what are the skillful means available to us? I was referring in that talk last Sunday to the various themes of contemplation, here and now, whole body, mind, judgment, free awareness. And these, are, these themes of contemplation can be understood as skillful means. And skillful means come in all forms. And they might be techniques that we do. They might be learning how to count the breathing. It might be taking on some sort of physical discipline, learning Tai Chi or walking meditation or might involve doing psychotherapy. A good number of people, the wounding that they've accumulated in early life has left serious obstructions and despite heroic efforts to find their way through it, they don't succeed and so the skillful means that they might be turning towards it those who have really studied these things and are able to lend a hand. So it's not just what we might find in the scriptures, but it's what works. And and so those themes of contemplation I referred to, uh, here and now, whole body, mind, judgment, free awareness, uh, those themes of contemplation that are in reference to the traditional teachings, uh, also, I referred to silent, selfless, spacious, just knowing awareness, and which again I find really helps. If we're not looking for a philosophy, if we're not looking for a political 
position if we're not looking for fixed views that we can cling to hoping that they're going to give us a sense of secure identity what are we going to look at well well, as we would know from our efforts in meditation the, the emphasis in this teaching is the cultivation of awareness itself and when awareness is well trained well developed then it provides us with a really beneficial working space a working environment which we can do the inner work we can do the work of inquiring we can do the Dhamma Vichaya we can do the investigation of phenomena for ourselves directly we can ask our own questions when we need to ask them and gradually the heart knot of confusion begins to untangle So this particular formulation, the silent, selfless, spacious, just knowing awareness, why, why silence? Well, when we drop the suggestion of silence into the mind, it helps bring into focus the assumption that we have that this background drone of endless verbiage this endless preparing conversations repeating previous conversations agreeing commenting, criticising praising, blaming this endless chatter that's going on inside it brings into focus the assumption this is normal just drop the word silence in and it helps us consider, well, it helps us question this endless noise. Our architect who comes to visit from time to time normally lives lives in London was, was sharing with me how it took him a few visits to the monastery before he started to realise that there was a pattern of coming here and taking two or three days to return to a more natural level of sensitivity in which he felt his inner work, his spiritual practice would prosper and and by contrast what he realised was taking place when he lived in the city there's always so much audio input, there's this background of noise that unconsciously, most of the time he'd end up becoming somewhat numb and desensitising himself and after a few days living out here in the countryside that recognition, remembering that he didn't need to maintain that numbness and could return to him a natural aliveness, sensitivity and appreciate that, that quietness on that level. Well, something similar can be discovered if we learn to exercise attention so that this inner chatter 
starts to quieten down. So it's not making an enemy out of it, but just considering what's it like if this background noise is not always there, if we can just let go of having opinions about everything, let go of repeating commentary on everything, let go of preparing conversations that we think we might have, what does that feel like? Well, if we, and I imagine all of us do have some degree of familiarity with this, it it feels good. There's a heightened capacity for reading what is happening. Like, for instance, the, the that movement of mind that we refer to as desire. You know, it's not just an idea, but it's fire. It's in the body. For instance, I want to understand such and such. It's a whole body-mind experience. What is that? What is the nature of desire? What is my relationship to desire? What happens if I allow for space around desire? Who is it that's investigating desire? So if there isn't freedom from that endless chatter, then we're very limited. And similarly with the the second theme of selfless, silent, selfless, spacious, just knowing awareness. Why selfless? When we drop the suggestion of selflessness or selfless into the mind, it can help highlight the assumption that we are entertaining that there's always somebody there doing this thing. Even if it's like doing the spiritual work, even if it's doing the understanding, even if it's doing the inquiry, we most regularly, consistently hold to an assumption that there's somebody there doing it. and We have this kind of feeling of it's somehow me, I. And what is that? Well, thankfully, the Buddha's teachings on anatta encourage us, again, not just to take a philosophical position about whether there is a self or a soul or an abiding essence or not, but rather to find the ability to inquire. We're looking for the causes for the discontentment and we're investigating the whole subject of identity. And if we are holding on to a perception of me doing it, which we most likely are most of the time, if not all the time, then in fact that becomes an obstruction. Along with the teachings on anatta or impermanence and dukkha, unsatisfactoriness, the Buddha held up, as we would all know, anatta, not self, the three primary fields of investigation. It's not that we have to be thoroughly investigating all fields all the time, that's a bit overly heroic, but it's most likely the case that we'll feel an affinity with one of these three, impermanence, unsatisfactory, not self, I need to do anatta. So the investigation into anatta can be really beneficial. If we have some familiarity with a quiet mind, a peaceful mind, 
and then we gently inquire into who not trying to get rid of anything not judging anything but checking to see is this awareness that we're operating in as free as it can possibly be is this the kind of optimum awareness that the Buddha wanted us to appreciate so that we can bring up these really important questions. What is the real cause of suffering? Not just the fact that my nationality has been insulted or my gender or my my skin colour or my height or my complexion or all these conditions. But prior to all of that, what really makes a difference to whether we are going to struggle or not. Because even if we get everything we want in life, like lots of respect, lots of material security and good health, sooner or later, as we all know, we're going to lose all of it. And if our identity is to be found in the personality, in the condition, sense of self, in the body-mind, then as the body and the mind and conventional mind start to fall apart, that's really bad news. So the invitation that the Buddha and the great teachers give us is to look further, look deeper, look beyond the way things appear to be, including this sense of there being somebody doing the work, somebody understanding and so one of the ways we can inquire into that is just this question of asking who who's asking the question that's a really good question who's asking these questions who is aware at least in my mind the word spacious conjures up the sense of capacity to accommodate if something is spacious, it means it can accommodate. And, and as we would know from our chanting, we, we talk about the Buddha being apamano buddho. The Buddha was limitless. What was limitless about the Buddha? The Buddha limitless capacity to accommodate everything. Everything and anything that might have arisen in the Buddha's field of perception. Sight, sound, smells, taste, touches of mental impressions. Everything and anything could be accommodated, could be seen freely. The Buddha and the great realized beings can live in conscious, unobstructed relationship with everything and anything. Everything and anything is available for investigation, can be seen. And any response in relationship to whatever arises in consciousness is informed with wisdom and compassion. But for all of us, we have obstructed relationships with so much of what arises in consciousness, the sights, sounds, smells, states, touches, and mental impressions, because we haven't recognized the assumption we have that awareness is limited. So the suggestion of spacious, spaciousness, and expanded awareness, this, we can exercise contemplations around the 
idea of expanding awareness. And I've suggested before how you know, sometimes people say, oh, I can't visualize. And well, maybe you know, it's true. A lot of people can't vividly visualize phenomena, but we can use our imagination. We all have this ability to imagine. And so you can bring attention to the, the for instance, the, the temperature of the air on our skin. You can feel the temperature and then using our imagination just just imagine what is the temperature just a, a centimeter or two away from from our skin is it the same or is it like you know 10 centimeters or a meter away or 10 meters away using our imagination to expand our sense of awareness our sensitivity so this is something we can exercise and and it's particularly important and as much as many of us have learned from a very early age to contract our awareness we're taught to read at a very early age and to focus and to pay attention and and these days with all the screens that are put in front of us again from a very early age our field of awareness can become very very contracted habitually contracted and it shows up with that experience that perception of I can't handle this this is too much it's something probably most of us have some familiarity with this is too much what is too much well it can't be reality because the Buddha and the great realized beings they live in the same reality as we do and it wasn't too much what is too much is the result, the perception that arises from the imposition of limitation that we put on awareness through our habits of clinging out of unawareness we're compulsively imposing limitations and and that experience of limited awareness we call me, this is me the solid substantial me it's a whole body mind experience but it's not actually an ultimate thing so the ability and the interest to investigate, to develop that expanded field of awareness and to investigate the perception of me, of mine, of self, of identity, let the, all the conversations, all the chitter and chatter quieten down so we maybe start to access this silent, selfless, spacious kind of awareness, something like that which provides us with a space which can receive experience. We don't have to be pulled into becoming afraid. We don't have to be pulled into becoming a victim or becoming a winner becoming anything, the momentum of becoming is something we can investigate and perhaps we start to sense that this awareness we can think of it as like a mirror, it doesn't matter what passes in front of the mirror beautiful, ugly horrendous absolutely exquisitely beautiful the nature of the mirror doesn't change without abiding is to be found in that capacity rather than in the sight, sound, smell, taste, touches of mental impressions that arise and cease in awareness. 
if we move towards being able to abide as just knowing, how does that sound? How does that feel? So once again, not conditioning ourselves to believe in this possibility, but cultivating the skillful means whereby we can start to feel for ourselves what works and what doesn't work. And with that, the increased ability to learn from everything, the successes and the perceived failures, the joys and the sorrows, that which is agreeable and that which is completely disagreeable, the tranquility, the harmony and the beauty and also the confusion and the chaos. So thank you very much this evening for your attention. Maya Dhamma Uvada Gata Sadhukaranda Dhamma Seh